0: All right, Uh, today's message, we're still in Smyrna. Remember, this is the second church in the list. Ephesus was first, Smyrna was second, it was north of Ephesus. We looked at the map last week and how the the letter moved along. Uh, We talked a little bit about Smyrna, I gave you some history and I bored my wife to death uh, because she absolutely loves when I talk history. Um, but, uh, it, it's good to know where this stuff's coming from, and she'd even admit that. Uh, she just doesn't have to like it. Uh, but we saw some, we learned about a guy named Polycarp, and, and we're, we may mention him again today, uh, because today we get the the next A+. Uh, today is, they they have uh, an A-plus in Courage. We're in Revelation 2. There we go. Uh. Verse, verse 10 is where we are today. Re- Revelation 2, verse 10. And it's courage, which I'm afraid the Christian church in America is lacking some of. Uh, we, we don't do well as Christians if, if our mode of operation is timidity and cowardice. And I'm afraid that's, that's, that's what we see. Because we, we as Christians in America, we don't face real persecution. We've talked about this before. We don't meet in, in this room worried that somebody's going to come through that door and, and haul y'all off to jail and, and, and execute me. We don't live with that fear. Yet, there are churches all over the world that met this morning or last night or or whenever they can that do live under that very real fear that's courage the willingness to to go to church in somebody's basement in the middle of the woods in the back room uh, of a a business where with no windows and and only one door and somebody guarding it that's courage But in reality, even as Christians in America, we have to be courageous. No, we may not be killed, but we've talked about we may suffer some persecution. And a lot of us, present company included, are probably more scared of people not liking me than I am of being killed for my faith. You know, I, I I like to think that if if somebody were going to come through the door to, to to execute me for for preaching for for being a Christian, that I would take that boldly. I, I, I never you never know until you get in that position, but I, I like to believe that I would stand up for Christ and go through whatever I had to, and do it willingly, understanding what He suffered for me. And yet, I'm unwilling to lose face around people who might have some skewed opinion of me because I'm a Christian and I try to tell them about Jesus. Now, how stupid is that? We have to have courage as a Christian. Christian life doesn't really go well without it. See, we've not been called to hide or run, and we talked about this one Wednesday night. What about these churches that do meet in secret, and they are hiding and running Eh, let's, let's not say they're hiding and running. Let's understand that in order for them to meet together and fellowship together as the Bible commands and to be able to continue to do that, and in, in order to continue to witness to other people who haven't heard the gospel, they have to do things to protect themselves. But I guarantee you, when you look at people like uh, this Iranian pastor that's now been in prison for over a thousand days just for being a Christian in Iran, He did not hide and run when the time came. Hiding and running would be the day he was arrested. He says, oh, I'm not a Christian. Oh, no, I don't believe. Oh, no, you got me wrong. Um, Praise be to Allah or whatever. That would be hiding and running. Instead, he said, I will not and I cannot deny my Savior in order to live in this country. So, Let's not, let's not say these people are hiding and running just because they're trying to have church without killing, getting their whole family killed. Because when the time comes, they definitely have courage that I only hope I could have someday. See, we've been called to stand firm in our faith. We have been called to be aggressive in our faith. We don't have, and by aggressive, I don't mean mean. Mean. I don't mean that we're obnoxious, I don't mean that we're doing things intentionally to make people not like us. What I am saying is that we have to be bold. There should come, there should be no time where we are unwilling or unable to take a stand for our faith. Whether that's something as simple as shopping at a place that the lost world tells you not to or being bold about Yes, I believe in Jesus in the public square when you're told you can't talk about that kind of thing. We have to be bold. We have to have courage. And the church in Smyrna was told the same thing. Now, I believe that the church in Smyrna had that courage. I believe they got the A+. This wasn't told to them by Jesus. This letter wasn't written to them as if they weren't going to have courage when the time came. This wasn't a reprimand. You should have had courage. It's a, a command with the idea that it's going to take place. It will happen. You will have courage. And That's not the way the verb says it. The verb says, it says don't fear. But the, uh, the, the belief behind it is they weren't going to fear. And they had some tough stuff coming. So look at Revelation 2.10. Don't be afraid of of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Don't be afraid. We've heard that phrase once or twice, right, in the Bible Seems to come up a lot. As a matter of fact, um, in Holman Christian Standard version of the Bible, which I use and is what you have on the screen, over 50 times the phrase, do not fear, do not be afraid, shows up in the Bible. It's probably up around 60 times actually, because when I was doing a little search, my computer program didn't recognize don't, even though it says right there in my Bible, don't. It was an odd little thing. It's probably nearly 60 times the Bible says, both in the Old and the New Testaments, don't be afraid. Don't fear. And it's really nice um, because when in in the, the Old and New Testaments, often don't be afraid is followed with something like, you'll be protected, or I'll, I'll see you through, or I, I will, you'll, you'll come out with Flying colors. I mean, that's that's often what happens. Um, I, we can all think of sometimes when when that isn't the case. The angel told Mary, "Don't be afraid of the fact that everybody's going to think you're a, a little floozy." Uh, when he told the angel told Joseph, "Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't don't be afraid to think that. Uh, don't don't be afraid of the fact that everybody's going to think that basically you didn't you did what you shouldn't have done before you got married." There was nothing about being protected there. We're not going to fix the problem. But often that's the case. That is not the case this time. There is no promise after don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because I'm going to get you through this and you'll be fine on the other side. There is no, no kind of pie in the sky ending here. As a matter of fact, don't be afraid. And you know why you don't need to be afraid? Because you're about to suffer bad. Bad. It is about to get rough, Smyrna. You, you think it's been bad for a while, and he, you know, remember what we talked about last week. Um, I know your poverty, but but you're rich. I know your tribulation, the slander. You think it's been bad so far, Smyrna, the poverty, the slander, the tribulation. It's going to get worse. And the 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 encouragement they get is not. It's going to get worse, or, and, and then you get out of it. We'll see here in a minute that while some of them may, some weren't. Don't be afraid, though. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. The devil. This, this, the devil here connects us back to verse 9, where he calls uh, the synagogue there, the synagogue of Satan. So if we think back to that, where the slander of the synagogue of Satan is going on, we talked about the fact that very likely the Jews in the area were now informing the Romans on, uh, of, of Christian activities, and pointing out those who are Christians in town, because they didn't look any different. But you had the synagogue of Satan, and we talked about why they synagogue of Satan, because they have united against the Christians with Rome. So he says, the synagogue of Satan has slandered you. The synagogue of Satan has informed on you. And Satan, the devil, the ones that the synagogue sided with now, is going to throw you in prison. This is a a consistent theme of Satan using Rome to persecute, consistent through this passage. As a matter of fact, consistent throughout Revelation. That Rome is coming down on you. In particular, coming down on you in Smyrna, and the Jews are complicit in this. They are a part of what's happening. We can understand this. We we don't know from the, the Jewish Christian standpoint, but we've likely, many of us, been in situations where someone, for whatever reason, was persecuting us somehow. And I'm not talking about torture or even death i'm just talking about the general types of persecution that that christians in america suffer you know people making fun of us people telling us we're stupid people arguing oh well the bible was written by a bunch of men there's nothing you know it's a uh, as one guy told me that christianity is just based on the aztec religion that's what he told me until i reminded him that we didn't even know about the aztecs till 1500s and But logic didn't help with him. Um, But we have that kind of thing. So we're suffering that sort of persecution from somebody that, you know, we're not surprised. We know that person. We know their beliefs. It doesn't shock us that they would mock us in some way. But then we see someone who was our friend. Maybe not a Christian, but at least tolerant of us or didn't care one way or the other or whatever that now is joining in with them for whatever reason. Now, on a much, much lesser scale, that's what the Christians in Smyrna were experiencing. They are, have been persecuted now by the people who don't even believe anything like they do, Rome. And the people who, up until a few weeks, maybe a few months or a few years ago, were their friends, are now informing on them. They are complicit in this. We know the situation. We understand it. And yet, even in our lives, we have to go back to the first part of the verse where Jesus says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to stand up for your faith when those who would persecute you are talking bad about you. And those that you thought were, if not on your side, at least friends of yours, are joining in. Don't be afraid. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Some of you. Now, you're thinking, why is he spending time on some of you? We know what some of you means. Yeah, we do. It means not all. Some of you. But it's important, I think, that we we stop here for just a second and look at this not all. See, the people who were thrown into prison, some would say, I mean, if we knew of people here in church that were thrown into prison... We'd go, oh, well, I always saw that coming. I mean, I know they came to church, but, mm-hmm, I, I, yeah, that doesn't shock me much at all. Or, we would think, oh my heavens, what in the world? See, prison, especially for Christians in this day and time, was not proof of holiness, nor was it proof of sinfulness. They would be thrown into prison because they were a part of the church. They uh, were recognized, they um, associated with the church. Therefore, they were going to prison. Jesus, the, the disciples asked Jesus, why was this person born blind? It Was it his parents or his mother? I mean, his, uh, his parents, sin of his parents or his sins that caused him be, to be born blind? And Jesus said, neither. It was the, so that God's glory could be revealed. God was using that. So when people were thrown into prison, it would have been very easy for some others who weren't thrown into prison to say, well, why were they thrown into prison? Oh, they must have done something wrong. Or, why were they thrown into prison? They're, they're good. When in fact, they were thrown into prison so the glory of God could be revealed. So some, not all, were thrown into prison And something else we need to understand when we see this, not all, this some of you, is that the church would not be destroyed. The church would not be decimated. Yes, some of you will go to jail, but not all. There will be a remnant left, and that remnant will witness, and that remnant will grow. And that remnant will tell others about Jesus. And then that remnant will suffer persecution, and we'll have this cycle, but I think it's important that we understand that, that there were some that were going to be put, put into prison, but others were going to be left. And it was the responsibility of those others to do what? To have courage and not end their witness because, oh no, some got put in jail. We might go to jail. And we'll see that here in just a second because Jesus says, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison. Why? Why? to test you, to test you. This will test those in and out of prison. It will test their faith, both of them, the ones who are sent to prison. Can they in prison believe in the Jesus that they believed in outside of prison? Can they still trust their Savior when Everything is against them. When everything is going wrong and and nothing looks like they want it to look, can they still have faith? They will be tested. But the ones who aren't in prison, will their faith hold? Will they continue to witness? Will they continue to grow? Will they continue to trust the Savior, knowing that their friends and loved ones are in prison, and I could be next? Their faith will be tested by the persecution but not only their faith will be tested their ministry will be tested the ministry of those in prison will they be able to minister to others in prison will they be a Joseph in prison you know the story of Joseph when he went to prison uh, after being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife what did he do he ministered to the people that came to prison he continued to trust God and those in prison, the entire prison, we're told, right up to the jailkeeper, were blessed because of Joseph. Will those in prison minister to the others in prison? Or will they lose their ministry, lose their faith, and be unaffected? Those outside of prison, their ministry will be tested too. First of all, to those in prison, because you know what happens when these people go visit those people in prison? These people are thought of As Christians and may get to stay a while, but will they continue to minister? Will they continue to minister to others? Will they continue the outreach they've been doing all this time with the fear that they may end up in prison as well? They are all tested. When one of us in the church is tested, we're all tested. We may not be tested in the same way but we're tested when someone loses a loved one that is a test for that person but that's also a test to see as a church how will we minister to that person who's lost the loved one will we pass that test will we fail that test when one of us is struggling with our faith do we kick that person out on the street and say well you don't belong here or do we minister to that person they're tested we are tested. So this time of tribulation was to test them. And what happens, what results from testing, is pruning and strengthening. We know what happens with a tree, a a fruit tree especially. You cut the dead limbs, you cut the the suckers off, and that lets the, the, the good limbs and the good fruit grow. Well in a time of testing, in a time of tribulation, the bad ones are cut off. The, the false believers are exposed. Those who were in it for the feel good. Those who are in it for the, the social aspect, though that was not the case in this church, but could very well be the case in churches today. We're in it because it looks good to go to church. During a time of tribulation, during a time of hard testing, those are exposed. And we know then who is a true believer. Those are exposed as well. But it also builds up the true believers. It doesn't just expose us. It doesn't just tell us who's good and who's not. But it strengthens us. And it grows us because despite the circumstances, we serve Jesus. And we get better. And we get more sanctified. And we draw closer to Jesus Christ regardless of the tribulation and the, the, the experiences that we are going through. The devil's about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Tribulation, this word here is very likely torture. Not just hard times, but this would be torture. The Romans were uh, particularly brutal when it came to Christians they could dream up some stuff as a matter of fact later on with things like uh, Spanish Inquisition and those kinds of things Christians could be particularly brutal as well but Rome especially we know that uh, Nero as an example decided to light one of his garden parties with crucified Christians that he lit on fire those were the torches that he used in his garden uh, and that just begins it and it was not uncommon for Christians to be put into the arena at the Colosseum or in a local uh, arena wrapped in deer skin or cowhide or something and let wolves or tigers or dogs some kind of famished animal attack the Christians that was fun to them uh, in this case uh, we'll see that probably ended up something very very much like that. But even while they were in this time, they were they, these, these 10 days in prison, they were being tortured. Rome had very few prisons just for lock-up. Rome wasn't big on you did something wrong, you spent a few years in jail. That wasn't the way they worked. See, in prison, you were generally waiting for trial or execution. You'd already been convicted and you were waiting for your sentence or you were waiting for your trials. Uh, trial came quickly. It wasn't like the way we do it today. Most trials ended in either fines, exile, or deaths, uh, death. Remember, these people were impoverished. They were, po- uh, they were experiencing poverty. Jesus said, I know your poverty. And we talked about why that was the case. So a fine wouldn't have done them any good. They wouldn't have been able to pay the fine. So the next two things would be either exile or death. They probably wouldn't have been able to get themselves out of town. Uh, wouldn't, it would have been too much trouble. So we can eliminate exile and assume that when they were in jail, especially Christians, they were waiting death. John, being a notable example, was exiled to the island of, of Patmos. So you're going to have this tribulation, you're going to be tortured, you're going to be in prison, and you're not waiting for your, your, to get out of prison. That's not your punishment, because he says, um, or we know that in Roman times, ten days had a meaning, that we understand this now, that... We may not have understood at one time. A lot of scholars say that this, this 10 days was Daniel's test. You read back in Daniel chapter 1, verses 20-something around there, uh, and Daniel is, is testing. Uh, Daniel has a test where he says, we're not going to eat with the king. We're not going to eat the king's food. A couple of reasons he did that. One, the food was unclean. Two in that day and time, if you ate at a table with a king, then the idea was that you uh, you believed everything that king said. you supported that king, you are one of his subjects at that point, and daniel was uh, was was certain that he was not a subject of an earthly king but the heavenly king, so there was a test he said if if we I tell you what me and my friends will will eat our stuff in our room for ten days you eat your stuff, and now every all your guys, y'all eat, and and we'll see who looks better at the end of 10 days, who's healthier, and so on. And we know the story. Daniel and, and his friends were healthier. They were better off at the end of the 10 days than everyone else was. So some scholars say that that's what this was. This is a 10-day test like Daniel. Others say that the 10 days may be 10 specific persecutions. It's... it's uh, it's, the number is symbolic. It doesn't mean 10 days exactly. But what we have learned in recent years from inscriptions and, in Rome and uh, some other writings is that 10 days was actually the time that prisoners spent getting ready if they were sentenced to face gladiators. Uh, if you've ever seen Spartacus, the, the movie with... Uh, Kirk Douglas, then you understand the whole gladiator thing. If you've seen the movie Gladiator, you know, those they like to put two gladiators to fight each other. If they didn't have the animals or if, uh, the, you know, if, if the, the, they didn't want to feed animals with the Christians or they didn't want to light their garden party with them on crosses, they would put this shopkeeper who had been nothing but a shopkeeper all of his life and had committed the heinous crime of believing in Jesus Christ in the middle of a gladiatorial arena with a sword and a shield up against a guy that's probably about twice his size and has trained for this every day for years. And they thought, oh, this will be fun to let the gladiator fight this puny Christian. That was another sport they had to help get rid of Christians and have fun at the same time. And 10 days was the time that we now understand was how long they prepped the prisoner. You know, you don't want them too unhealthy. You want them to fight back. So they might give them little food, little rudimentary training. You know, this is a sword. This is the end you hold it with. This is the shield. It's supposed to protect you. Now get out there and have fun. So the ten days, if we are correct, when, when the people in Smyrna read, for ten days you will have tribulation, they knew immediately at the end of ten days they were going to die. Can you imagine getting this letter? Can you imagine someone writing a letter to First Baptist Nixon? Not just somebody, Jesus. And, and that letter saying, you know, you think it's bad off, but, but you're not. You are rich in faith. And as bad as it has been, it's going to get worse. But don't fear. Don't be scared. I mean, you're only going to be tortured for ten days, and at the end of ten days you're going to face a gladiator that you can't beat and be killed. That's all. Don't be afraid. Hard to imagine. Hard to sit there and say, Yay, Jesus. <laughs> and yet that's what they were commanded to say. That was, that was the result. <clears throat> you will have tribulation in, for ten days. He's already said, don't be afraid. Now Jesus says, be faithful. And in, in, case, in case they weren't real clear on the ten days, will end in death. Jesus says, be faithful until death. Guess what, y'all? Some of you are going to die. Some of you are going to be put in prison. You're going to be in prison and, and, and tortured for 10 days. And then some of you are going to die. But don't be afraid and be faithful. See, faithful Really, God? You know, this is there are a lot of places in the Bible where you want to say, Really, God? Don't be afraid of, of, of facing gladiators. Be faithful in the midst of that. And, and what does faithfulness mean? Faithfulness means when we are faithful to God, we're faithful in our works, the things that we do, the life we live for Christ. So Jesus is saying, In the midst of your torture in the 10 days that you're preparing to face a gladiator that you can't beat that's going to kill you and probably kill you slowly because it's always more fun for the people watching if the Christian dies slowly than if he just gets his head cut off. For, for that period of time, I want you to be faithful in your works. I want you to focus on me. I want you to focus on me, Christian who's about to die, and I want you to live your life in such a way that you are still doing good. You are still doing the things that I have told you to. Really, God? Yeah, and, and, and I want you to be faithful in your witness, So when the time comes that you don't go out saying, of course, they wouldn't even be in this situation had they done this, but you don't go out saying, oh, no, I don't believe in Jesus. No, no, no. But instead, I want you to get the extreme opposite. I want you to be like Paul and Silas in prison. I want you to sing hymns. I want you to be like Paul in every prison he ever went to and witness to the jailer. That's what I want. In the midst of your not being afraid of dying, and being tortured I want you to be faithful in your witness and I want you to be faithful in trusting me and and you're how really God yeah I want you in, in, in when you are ripped from your family when you're ripped from the grip of your children and put into prison and told what's gonna happen I want you to trust me anyway When you know there's no way out of it, when you know that you are not going to end these 10 days well, I want you to trust in me. When you're in the middle of the gladiatorial ring and you're holding a sword you don't know what to do with and a shield that's almost too heavy for you to carry and there's this guy coming at you and you know this is it and this is going to hurt, I want you to trust me. And we want to say, really God? In the midst of all that, you want me to trust you. And Jesus says, "Yes, I do," because see, Jesus knows, and I believe these people knew. And in a minute, in a few minutes after they kept on reading or, or being read to them, they got to Revelation twelve eleven, speaking of Christians who were killed. They conquered him, Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives in the face of death. See, as much as I want to ask the questions, really God? I don't think the Christians in Smyrna did. I think they went to it boldly, willingly and with rejoicing blows my mind but we are told to count it all joy when we suffer as Christ suffered and you know what Christ didn't just suffer at work when the non-christian makes fun of me for being a christian That's not what the Bible is talking about when it says suffer as Christ suffered. Christ suffered for who he was, and he suffered torture and excruciating death. And these people, I believe, went to the ten days of prison, knowing they were going to face a gladiator in a ring, counting it joy to suffer as Christ suffered. And understand that when these people died, they didn't have the weight of everybody's sin on their shoulders. They had the joy of knowing their sins were forgiven. So even if we suffer physically as Christ did, we will never suffer the emotional and the spiritual strain that Christ did when he took your sins and my sins on that cross. So be faithful unto death, and they were. They did not love their lives in the face of death. But why could they do that? Why? I think they knew this promise beforehand, or they understood at least the promise maybe better than we do. Because he says, I will give you the crown of life. See, the salvation is the reward of faith faith that gets us to the point that we would be willing to go to prison but let's be honest salvation is the reward of faith that gives us the courage to step out of a pew and come down front when people are thinking oh I thought he was already saved he's been a member of this church for years that's courage that's the reward of faith that is salvation see we understand Persecution is temporary. In this case, it's only 10 days and a few minutes in a a, a ring. Salvation, Jesus, is forever. And that's what these people knew. They knew their life was but a vapor. They knew that nothing on this earth will compare to what we have someday later. This crown... Remember I told you that Smyrna from the water looked like a crown as it went up the hill. Both the, the design of the road up the hill and then the various buildings made it look like there was, it was this studded crown sitting on this mountain. So when Jesus says... I will give you the crown of life. What he's telling them is that the reward is better than living. Even if you live in Smyrna, you live in a crown. I will give you a crown. You live that your life is about being around this wealthy town, this city of influence, this crown of Asia. I will give you a crown that will save you forever. That is the crown that you are going to die for. Not this. Not a city, not people, not materialism, not the things you think you have to have, but me, eternally. That's what you get if you are faithful. That's the crown. See, this was not a crown of royalty. The, the, the Greek word there is diadema. Or diadema. Diadem maybe is a word that you recognize. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all we sing in one of the songs I can't think of at the moment what the title is. Uh, But we bring forth the diadem and we put the crown. That's a crown of royalty. That's the crown of someone who was born into their position. This crown, the the word is stefanus. This is the wreath this is the Olympic thing that we see. That's the crown for an athlete who wins the race. Paul talks about it over and over, and specifically in 1 Corinthians 9.24. says, Do you not know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in a, such a way that you may win. Win what? Win the prize, the crown, the Stephanas, that that wreath. As a matter of fact, they have found... In Smyrna, all over the place, legal documents, legal buildings, that the, one of the emblems of Smyrna was this wreath crown. So Jesus says, you live in a crown. You live in a city that considers itself a crown. I will give you a crown like none other. The crown that will never leave you. The crown that you get for winning the race. You see, faithfulness, faith in Jesus Christ is winning. So First Baptist Church, do we get an A plus in courage? Do we have the courage to stand up when our persecution is not ten days of torture followed by a sword through the heart? in the middle of arena, with thousands of people cheering for our death. But when our persecution is that person might not like me as much as he does right now. And yes, I'm mocking you and me. That we worry about that. When Jesus is writing a letter to a church saying, Some of you are going to die. Don't be afraid, but be faithful. How how ludicrous to think that we should get a letter from Jesus saying, some of you are going to be picked on. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. It's not worth the ink and the paper. Do we have courage, First Baptist Church, to stand for the faith that we claim we believe? And I don't mean stand for it and just be baptized and that's the end of it. I don't mean to that, that people drive by and see our cars in the parking lots. They know we go to church here, and that's the end of it. I'm talking about faith that is willing to stand up when there are people at the table next to you cussing and your kids can hear it. When you're cussing and your kids can hear it. When you are... Out and people are determined to 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 be and do things well just in places that you I'm not going to go. Why? It's just it's not you know that is not where Jesus would have me be. Do you have? Do we have courage? Do we get an A plus? Smyrna did. Do we? Courage begins by taking that first step. Courage begins by saying, yes, I'm a member of some church. Maybe this church. But I have never understood what it is to follow Jesus. Yes, I've sat in the pew and I've heard it preached over and over and over. And people are going to look at me and they're going to think, awful things about me because they just always thought I was a Christian but I have never trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior do you have that courage courage is if I accept Jesus Christ my family is gonna disown me or at least make living with them very hard courage is saying I don't care I'm gonna follow Christ Courage is, you know what? I don't get all of this. I don't understand what exactly, you know, the crown and the and where and a, a diadem. Why is he even speaking English? I don't get all that. But I do know this I know my life is not what it should be. I know I have tried everything that I can think of to fix my life and I can't. I want to give Jesus a try, and I don't know how. That's courage. So if those are your thoughts, ABC,, we have to understand that we are sinners, that admit that we are a sinner. And there's a lot of stuff that's going to come after this, y'all. But we've got to get the courage to take that first step first. Admit that we are a sinner, and that's usually the hardest part. I didn't, I, I didn't know I was breaking God's law. It doesn't matter. I didn't know I was bad. Doesn't matter. Admit that I'm a sinner. That I have broken God's law. But I'm not that bad. Doesn't matter. Admit that you're a sinner. That you have broken God's law. Believe that Jesus is the only help for you. That that nothing you can do... Is going to fix it. No church you go to, no no motions you go through, no words you say, no no prayer you pray, no person you know, none of that is going to help you into heaven. You don't get to the gates and somebody says, oh, you know so All right, come on in. No, it's you and Jesus. And if there's no relationship there, then it's just you. So believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He is your only hope for salvation. Confess that boldly. If you're not willing to say it, then we have to question, you have to question what's going on inside. If you're not willing to show it through baptism, baptism doesn't save you. But if you're not willing to show it, if you're not willing to live the life, if you're not willing to confess it, then has it happened? Maybe today you need to recommit. You need to return to your first love like we talked about with Ephesians. Make today your day. How are you going to respond? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray for every heart here today, Lord. I pray that we as a church would have courage, that we would get an A+. God, I know that my grade would be uh, a bit lower and God, we, we, we don't have torture and, and gladiators to face. God, we just have our friends and neighbors. And yet, all too often, we are cowards for you. Lord, move in our hearts. Give us the courage right now to commit for the first time, some of us, some of us this is all brand new some of us we've heard this for years and years give us the courage to come forward to give our lives to you God Lord for some of us we need just the courage to stand to stand on the faith that we already have but we have been more more worried about what is said about us than what you say about us God and I pray today we would recommit to you Move among this place. Open our hearts, God. Let us respond to you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's your response? Courage. Do you have the courage to follow now? He's worked on your heart. You've heard him call. Do you have the courage to respond? Do you need to come forward and talk to me? Do you need to you know, you're not there yet, you want it right on the connection card. Do you want to talk to me sometime this week? Talk to one of our deacons or someone else here. What is your decision today? What is God leading to you to do? Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to lead a life of holiness? Do you need to recommit? Do you need to go to Spain? Do you need to go to Vancouver? Do you need to go to a classroom? to lead? Do you need to be a Sunday school teacher? Do you need to be more involved somewhere in this church or outside of this church in missions or ministry? What is God calling you to do today? Let's stand and sing. As God works on your heart, come forward, come pray, come talk to me, grab somebody, and let's get it right with the Lord this morning. Cowardly churches no longer exist. Let's just put it that way. If we are not a church that is bold in our faith, we're history. And we might as well do it now. We have got to be a church that is courageous to stand up for Jesus Christ. Let's do that.